Welcome to 100 Days in Mexico, the story of how a 100-day solo road trip surfing my way down the Pacific coast of Mexico changed my life forever. Ready to go on a road trip? Strap in, let's do this. Episode 26, Gaining Strength, Day 38. I found it increasingly difficult to stick to any food rules. I frequently couldn't read the menus at restaurants, if there was even a menu at all. Most of the time, the only food options outside of a restaurant came from corner stores filled with nothing but beer, soda, chips, cookies, and candy. Little by little, I yielded control. Most of the places I surfed were incredibly remote, so I was lucky if there was a restaurant or a store at all. Surfing was the priority. Finding good waves meant eating whatever was available. So I did what it took. Each morning, I walked 10 minutes to the only store. I bought a sope made of bread, yes, with gluten, beans and queso fresco, yes, with dairy, as well as a cappuccino from the machine. Yes, with corn syrup and hydrogenated oil. I would surf a few hours and then buy a snack from a kid selling something on the beach, a fried banana with caramel, a sweet bread, a fruit juice. Then I'd nap and eventually buy an unknown dish at a restaurant, do some yoga and nap some more, surf some more, buy some more mystery food and go to bed. After a week of staying in the Fishbones Cabana, I discovered a slight upgrade a few hundred yards up the beach. Several other surfers were staying in the neighborhood cabanas, and once again, as the only female around, I was quite popular. I had instant friends. There were morning surf sessions together, afternoon story swapping, and evening bonfires where someone would pull out a guitar, and the drunker people would have a sing-along while the more sober of us laughed our butts off. The only problem with my new cabana is that it wasn't entirely watertight, and the rainy season was just getting started. After a fitful night of as the thatched roof leaked into my cabana, I got up twice to push my bed to avoid the drips, but it didn't seem to help. The entire roof needed replacing. The next morning, the waves were complete crap from the storm the night before but we were all chomping at the bit to surf. After all, that's why we were there, putting up with mosquito bites and soggy beds. We stood in a light rain, watching the waves, looking for anything that looked rideable. Not only did the ocean look angry with choppy peaks popping up all over the place, it also looked powerful. The waves were big and messy. My two new friends, both male, each of them a sponsored surfer, seemed to spot something worth paddling out for. I told them I would stay back and do yoga under a palm tree. If I saw them get two good waves, I would join them. What I failed to consider was that being professional surfers, my friends can make any conditions look fun. The waves were breaking a long way offshore, and I kept seeing peaks pop up on massive wind chops, throwing some huge aerial maneuvers. They looked like specks popping up. They looked like they were having the time of their lives. About 30 minutes, it felt my gills were drying up. I was hungry in my bones for some waves. Or maybe I was hungry to prove I could keep up with the boys. Growing up snowboarding with my brothers in a culture that taught women came second, 
I had learned to prove my worthiness by keeping up with the boys in all ways, especially athletics. I was going to go surfing. I grabbed my board and headed for the beach. I noticed a rip flowing out next to a jetty and assumed it would be the quickest way to get out to the break because the current would take me in the direction I wanted to go. The guys were 300 yards to my left. I decided to let the rip take me out into the unbroken water, then paddle toward my friends in an L shape. When I entered the water, the wind blew spray in my face and the surface was bumpy, smacking me all over the place as I tried to stay on top of my surfboard. I looked toward my friends, but I couldn't see them over the surface chop. After paddling what seemed like only a few minutes, I noticed the rip was moving me very quickly. Too quickly. I was already past the jetty, which was supposed to be to my right, but now was to my left. In fact, I wasn't sure where I was. I sat up on my board to get my bearings. I looked to my left. I didn't see my friends. I looked to my right, and I didn't see the jetty. I turned around. The beach was half a mile away. I fixed my eyes on a brightly colored building on the beach. It seemed to be floating away from me, like a cloud drifting through the sky. But buildings don't drift. Surfers do. Panic seized my body. My stomach twisted as if large hands were wringing it dry. I sat motionless on my board, but the current was still dragging me at double-digit speeds out to sea. I took a deep breath and scanned the surface texture of the water, trying to ascertain the direction in which the rip was moving. I made my best guess based on previous experience watching rip currents. I set the nose of my board perpendicular to the direction I estimated the rip to be flowing in, and began to paddle. On that day, the voice sounded like a middle school girl texting her frenemy about stealing her boyfriend. You stupid bitch. What the hell were you thinking? You are going to die. This is how it ends. Congratulations, you idiot. You just committed suicide. My shoulders were burning. My heart rate skyrocketing and my breath erratic. I was crying, and it seemed impossible to get a deep breath or a steady stroke through my tears. Melanie, get a hold of yourself, I commanded enter me. Okay, you can panic when you get to the beach. Survival instinct shut down my tears. One, two, one, two, one, two. I counted my strokes and matched them to my breath. Five minutes into my sprint paddle, I looked up for a moment to realize that I had only made the slightest bit of forward progression. Another wave of panic. I fought the tears again. I dug my arms deeper into the water. Fifteen minutes. Again, I dared to lift my chest. I wasn't farther out, but I wasn't sure if I was closer either. Move toward the discomfort. I repeated my mantra, making an effort to enjoy the burning sensation in my muscles. Twenty minutes. I was spent. My strength and stamina were gone. Is this how my story would end? T-minus four years. I stood in the checkout line at a gas station in the middle of nowhere, Texas. 
I had been sent there by my company on a last-minute trip to deal with an issue one of our clients was having with our product. It was 9 p.m. I had just traveled two time zones, having left another hotel room in another state at 6 a.m. that morning. I was scheduled to be in another city and yet another time zone by the next day around the same time. I held a five-hour energy shot, a large black coffee, a sugar-free energy drink, a pack of sugar-free gum, a pack of beef jerky, and a Snickers bar. I avoided eye contact with the cashier, who would surely judge me for the chocolate bar. I handed over the money, cracked open the energy drink, and downed the entire can in the parking lot. I ripped open the plastic on the Snickers bar. I sat in my driver's seat, chewing slowly, crunching and rolling the sweet goo around in my mouth. Before I swallowed, I reached for the empty energy drink can, lined up the opening as if to drink from it, but instead spat all of the calorie-laden black sin out into the can before I had a chance to swallow it, before it had a chance to punish me with its calories. It didn't count if I didn't actually ingest it. I reached back for the candy bar and continued chewing and spitting until I had devoured the rest of the bar. I pulled out of the parking lot and continued to load my body with enough chemicals to ensure I would make the rest of my three-hour drive without falling asleep at the wheel. As I drove, I entered the beef jerky into my calorie tracker app. Everything else was calorie-free. The tracker said I was at 970 calories for the day and just four grams of carbohydrates. I felt pretty satisfied with those numbers but hopefully the hotel had a gym that stayed open past 11 p.m. just to get in a little extra cardio. I checked into the hotel at 11.30 p.m. I found out they had no gym. Everything in my body was screaming for rest. I downed the complimentary bottle of water in my room and felt nauseous. I thought about making myself throw up, but I knew there was nothing in my stomach and the nausea was from exhaustion rather than eating. Still, I couldn't imagine going to bed without a workout. The voice reminded me that skipping one workout is where it all starts, after all. So, I put on my sneakers and headed for the stairwell of the 18-story hotel. Somehow, I would summon the strength to run all the stairs three times. Back in the water. I took one last paddle before allowing exhaustion to carry me to my watery fate. I simply could not take another stroke. My muscles were shutting down. My body wanted nothing more than to collapse. Control? Some things are worth controlling. Somehow, from a place deeper than the well of physical strength, a last effort burst forth. The effort felt more painful than anything, yet I embraced the pain, letting it fuel me. You will paddle until you are safe. You've done harder things for stupider reasons. You have the strength to summon it. I reminded myself I could feel any emotion I wanted. I could give up all control once my feet hit the sand. By the time I broke free of the rip, Someone had spotted me with binoculars, and a crowd was gathering on the jetty, 
completely helpless to do anything. They watched as my feet finally hit the sand. I stumbled onto the beach, ripped the leash off my ankle, dramatically flung my board at the ground, and collapsed into a heaving heap of tears. Now, safely on firm ground, I allowed myself to experience the full weight of the emotions I had held at bay, and the tears felt good. By the time I sat down for lunch, I felt alive like never before. I ordered something I couldn't pronounce and sat back to wait. Meals in Mexican restaurants take a long time to come to the table. I was presented first with sliced cheese and tortilla chips, all of which I ate while I waited. Then pickled spicy carrots and onions, which I also ate until my mouth felt like it was on fire. Then my meal came with breaded chicken, rice, salad, black beans, and six or seven tortillas on the side. The waitress sat everything in front of me and then apologized, left, and came back with a side of mayo. I began slowly eating. I had never experienced such a lack of urgency to get food into my belly. I ate everything, down to the last tortilla. It was the same amount of calories that a typical binge would have been, but it was different. It took five times the amount of time to consume. It took willpower to keep eating rather than to stop. And I tasted every bite rather than just the first two. When the waitress returned to ask me if I would like more, like they always do, I consulted my Spanish dictionary, looking up how to say, I ate too much. I replied, No estoy bien, ya comí demasiado. Thanks, but I've already eaten too much. A huge smile lit up her face and she shot back, Que bueno, how good. How good indeed. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, you can head over to 100daysinmexico.com and check out the insider section where I record a behind-the-scenes video for each episode. In these videos, I answer questions like, did you ever actually send that letter to Kurt? Or, whatever happened to that guy? Did you see him again? Or, where is your puppy now? So for the answers to these questions and an insider's behind-the-scene look at every episode, head on over to 100daysinmexico.com and sign up to become an insider. It's about the cost of a latte per month, and there's a whole lot of value in there. Until next time. Thank you.